So a few years ago, I decided to build a dining room table, which was a bold choice for someone who's never built anything before. And so I set about learning all there is to know and then really just leaning on other people, right? Because yeah, alone, I would have failed. Now, some of you have been to my house before and you've sat at that table and they're always like, do a double take, like you built, it's standing, it's, it held our food and things, yes. Now, I'm pretty proud of it, I gotta be honest, because my um, expectations were basically on the floor. So as long as it had four legs and held something, that was a win for me. And so uh, it works, right? I, I passed that bar. Some of you could have done a much better job, and when this one falls apart, we'll be calling you next time. <laughs> Tables are important, aren't they? Not just because of the function that they provide, but because of what they foster in our relationships. Because as we come together to the table, we can find that transformation not only within us, but also within our relationships. So today we're going to start a new series called The Table. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 7 this morning. I hope you have felt right at home here, especially if you're new with us this morning. I want to welcome you also. My name is Kale Courtright. We're so glad that you've been here to worship with us here or online. And we're using a table here for this series because it's called The Table, so I felt like that was, you know, that made sense. But also, when you walked in here, you passed a different table. Next week, this stage is going to be full of our Thanksgiving meals that next week we will go and deliver as a church family. And so you passed the sign-up list. So if you hadn't uh, wrote your name down on there, you need to do that on the way out today. Because there's going to be a bunch here, and it's going to take all of us uh, to get that done next week. So we want to invite you to participate in that next week. Uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about the table, about all the moments that we specifically see Jesus at the table. Here in just a couple of weeks will be Thanksgiving, and then beyond that will be Christmas. And it's just a great time to gather, not only with family, but also with close friends. And I don't know what your tradition looks like, but my guess is that you will be around a table at some point. Maybe you do the traditional uh, turkey and all of that goes with that. Maybe you do ham, throw, change it up a little bit. I know some families in here do Thanksgiving steak. And I got to be honest, I'm still waiting for that invitation, if that's your family. But regardless of what you do, you're going to be around a table. We know that tables are important. We know that in the times of year that are most meaningful, we gather around a table. Why is this so important? Why is eating together around a table so important? Well, in the book Eating Together, the author writes, the author argues that dining together can radically shift people's perspectives. It reduces our perceptions of inequality. And those who gather together tend to view those of different races, gender, and socioeconomic background as more equal than they would in other social settings. Gathering around a table has this equaling effect, doesn't it? That as we sit together, we, we're eye to eye usually. Our feet are, are under the same table. We may accidentally um, kick one another under there. That through conversation, we find this connection. And, and just practically speaking, when you gather together to eat, you inevitably have to stop. You have to pause. You chew your food, and hopefully you, your, mom, your mom taught you to close your mouth while you chew your food, which gives the other person a chance to speak. So just by coming together around a table, it has this equaling effect. 
that as we are together, we find this connection, that it's, it's powerful in a way that other settings are not. Bob Goff also writes in his book, Everybody Always, it's a tradition we've had for decades that everyone who comes to visit us climbs underneath the dining room table to sign it, and they leave a word behind. One of my friends, Don, left the word with on the bottom of our table. So this is new to my family, so next time you come over, you're going to be getting underneath the table, okay? We've got special markers for it. What I, I do love that story, though. The word with. Who are you with? Who is with you around the table? Maybe not just in your home, but maybe who you, who you break bread with, not just on Sunday mornings, but also when you go out to eat, things like that. I think it's an important time to ask ourselves the question, who are we with? Who, who frequents our table? And maybe the opposite is an even better question. Who are we not with? Who doesn't get the invite? Who do we turn down? Who do we not go to? And so, as we start this series, I hope I've made the case, at least a little bit, that the table is important, that, that it has power. We're going to continue to see in what ways over the next few weeks, but the table is powerful, and it brings us together. And all year, we've been talking about what it means to be better together, and we are best together when we gather around the table. And so, church, we need a hospitality practice like this. We need to come to the table, not only together on Sunday mornings as we do every week, but also on the other days of the week. We need to come together. It bonds us. It connects us. And so before we even start the series, really, before we dive into any text, I want to issue a challenge for the series, okay? So if you write things down, if you like to take notes, write this down. Here's the challenge, is that sometime between today and the end of the year, have a family over to your table, have someone specifically from Crosspoint, if you're visiting us from another church, from your church, have them over to eat at your table. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking a couple of things right now. You're thinking, this is a very busy time of year. But you know what happens if I say, invite someone sometime. Sometime never comes, right? And so put a date on it. By January 1st, somebody, you're going to invite somebody over here. Not the person you always invite. Invite somebody new. Invite someone you haven't had over before, and I promise you it will start that relationship that you have not yet started. It will start to form you and connect you. You may also be thinking, my house isn't clean enough. Well, guess what? Theirs isn't either. They understand. So invite somebody over. Extend hospitality to another. So as I said, we're going to be in the, in the Gospel of Luke this morning. And one of my favorite movies, or I should say our favorite movies, is Ocean's Eleven. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an old movie. And I'm not even talking about the original. The remake is an old movie. <laughs> I love that movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a heist movie. You know, there's some revenge involved. There's planning, and then they execute. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm sure it's on your favorite streaming service. But... <clears throat> One of my favorite aspects of the movie is Brad Pitt's character. Because Brad Pitt, in almost every scene, is eating. He always has food. No matter what he's doing, he is eating something. And so what I want to do is, and as we read in the Gospel of Luke today, I want you to just remember that Jesus is kind of like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> because when we read in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is always around the table. He's always sharing a meal with someone. That in the Gospel of Luke in particular, 
ministry at the table is very important. Just as we've been saying, it's what bonds you, it's what connects you, and Jesus shows that better than anyone. He keeps going to the table. And in big moments and small moments, there is food, there is a table. So let's read one such moment now from Luke chapter 7, starting verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's home. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. So Luke gives us this story, and what I want to say from the beginning is that Jesus is the host of this moment. We're going to see that in a minute, that Jesus hosts this encounter. It's not his table. It's not his house. It wasn't his invitation. But in almost every moment Jesus is in, he is the host, that he is, takes the, the center position because, because he's Jesus. He just can't help but be there. And even though Simon the Pharisee, we'll learn his name is Simon in a minute, Simon starts this encounter, but he's the host here, but he's not hospitable. He, com- he comes to this moment with the wrong motives, as we'll see in a second. He knows who he is, and he knows who this woman is. And so there's a couple things that we want to, to say just from the beginning here, is that who are these characters? There's Simon, who Jesus knows his heart, because as it says here, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him. We also have this woman who lives a sinful life that probably the Pharisee knows, Jesus might even know her, that her whole community knows who she is. And if you'll look into this text, you'll see she's not even invited. She crashes the party. She's the one that doesn't get an invitation. I think this moment, though, teaches us a lot about Jesus and a lot about hospitality. Because Jesus comes with a hospitable heart, even though that's not what he finds there. That Jesus accepts this invitation, even though it's from someone that has ulterior motives. It it tells us about who Jesus is and about what hospitality is. About how we respond to these moments. See, this Pharisee is trying to judge Jesus. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Specifically, he wants to know, is this man a prophet? Is he one in the likeness of Elijah or John the Baptist? See, Luke gives us this story at just this time for a reason. Luke is making the case to the reader, whether they're a Christian or not, that Jesus is greater than any prophet. Yeah, he shares similarities, but Jesus is so far beyond what you think he is. He's not just a prophet. He's so much more. And we'll continue in verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, imagine for a second, a denarii is a day's wage. If somebody owed you seven weeks worth of wages, you would probably want that amount of money, right? Doesn't matter how much we're even talking about. Two months worth of work, you would want that. But more so, you'd want the 18 months worth of work, wouldn't you? You'd want those 500 days worth of pay. We'll continue. Neither of them had the money to pay the lender back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. 
You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is at the table of an inhospitable Pharisee, but he is welcome to the table. He is greeted with hospitality, but it's by the party crasher, the one who probably wasn't invited. She's offering everything that hospitality was supposed to be. And here you see, beyond any miracle Jesus does, beyond any of his mighty acts, you see in this moment the heart that Jesus has, that he shares the heart and the care of his Father in heaven. That Jesus could have come and he could have lorded over us his power and his authority. These, these are the temptations that the devil puts before him. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? Do you know that I'm the Son of God, that I rule over all of this? This isn't who our Jesus is. Jesus comes and he offers forgiveness. He shares even when we didn't ask. He meets us at our table even when we weren't hospitable to him. Jesus joins meets us right where we are, and he loves us in that place, in that moment. So you have the woman who lives a life of sin, and you have Simon, whose hypocrisy is vulnerable to the truth. Hypocrisy is always vulnerable to the truth. We are most vulnerable when we are blind to our own faults, and he cannot see himself for how he really is. And Jesus exposes his false hospitality. See, Simon doesn't think he has anything to be forgiven for. Simon has fallen into the age-old trap as a us versus them, as a you're either all right or you're all wrong. And he thinks in his self-righteousness that he is all right, that he has nothing that he needs to be forgiven for. And so I think one of the, a good way for us to consider this story is to ask ourselves the question, who are you typically more like? In your everyday life, are you typically more like Simon, thinking, I'm the Pharisee, I'm the righteous one, I, I have it all figured out? Or are you more like the woman who's left nameless, who everyone knows lives a sinful life? One of my favorite things that this church practices regularly, and we just had it practiced today, and I promise you I did not prompt him for this, but Wayne I was up here for communion, and he said, hi, I'm Wayne. A sinner saved by the love and grace of God. That's who we are, isn't it, church? That this is who we are. We walk into the moment just like this woman, knowing exactly who we are, knowing that we have to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus because there is no other way. We don't get to walk in knowing and thinking that we're righteous. We are only reconciled back to God because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done in our life. And Jesus, just like this woman, will accept anyone who throws themselves at his feet. The one that comes and asks for forgiveness, Jesus welcomes with open arms, which reminds us of a different story in Luke. 
In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells this parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man with two sons. And the younger one came to him and he said, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want it now. And the father gives it to the son who runs off and he squanders it and he lives a life that does not honor the father. And sometime in the future, he wakes up and he's a servant with the pigs and he realizes, man, being a servant in my father's house would be better than this. So I'm going to go home and ask to just serve in my father's house. And while he's still on the way, the father sees him and runs to him. The father throws him a great party because his son who was dead is now alive and he has returned. Only there's one person that's not at the party. There's one person that won't come and be reconciled at the table. The brother, the older brother will not come back. He will not take the table as a place of forgiveness like the father has. So there's this story, this haunting moment at the end when the father begs the brother to come back in to welcome his younger brother back. Are you going to be like Simon, the older brother? Or like the woman who throws themselves, like the younger brother who throws themselves at the feet of the father, asking and begging for forgiveness? See, church, we're reminded every single week that we have this forgiveness, that through the grace and love of God, we have been reconciled back to him, that he brings us into relationship, that he is a good, good father that forgives us, that our God is just like the God we read about in Luke 15, that he is reckless in the way that he loves us. He pours it out over and beyond what we even ask for. How do you respond to that? What do you do with that in the face of a God that you did not deserve this, and yet he gave it anyways? So the call is to respond in love. Love is the natural response to being given this gift. Just like this woman who loves greatly because she knows that she has been greatly forgiven. Church, your story is the same story. We love greatly because of how he first loved us. See, Simon's problem is not in his conduct. It's not in his behavior. In fact, he probably was one of the best people in Israel following all of God's laws. The problem is in his attitude, is in his self-understanding. See, he chooses to distance himself from God thinking that he doesn't need God, thinking he doesn't need what Jesus has to offer. He's looking, for, he's looking for a prophet. What he found was so much greater, and he didn't even realize what he needed. So for those of us that realize what we've been given, our hope and prayers, you realize this grace and forgiveness that God has given to you. This becomes the controlling narrative of our life, that we are a sinner saved only by the love and grace of God. So we're moved towards love, but we're also moved toward forgiveness. As Jesus commands us in Matthew chapter 6, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, church, this, this this is kind of a haunting commandment, isn't it? Because we're not that good at forgiving all the time. I think Jesus knows in our nature is to hold on to these things, hold on to our grudges, hold on to the things that hurt us. And he's saying, offer forgiveness just like I have forgiven you. So I want to give a couple of ways that we can move towards forgiveness today. Because my guess is that most of us that walked in here this morning, walked in here with someone that we need to forgive. There's probably somebody in your mind Or if you think about it, there's someone that you need to forgive, whether they hurt you intentionally or unintentionally. 
They probably don't know that, that you even need to forgive them. But we have to move towards this place of forgiveness. We want to move towards, move past all the hurt that we have in our hearts, these things that we're hung up on. We want to move towards this forgiveness because that's what God calls us to. That's what he did. You may never be asked to forgive them. You know, God forgave you before you asked. Before you even knew to ask, he forgave you. These people will never deserve your forgiveness. And God never, you never deserved his forgiveness either. What Jesus is asking you to do is exactly what he has done in your life. So the first thing that we can do to move towards a place of forgiveness is we can pray for those people. Pray for that person in your life that hurts you. Again, whether they did it on purpose or not doesn't matter. But we're going to, I want to challenge you to pray daily for these people. Pray that, pray that God changes your heart and molds you and opens you up to forgiveness. It's not going to happen maybe overnight, but over the course of time, you will be transformed in your capacity to forgive other people. Pray that your heart would be open, but also pray for, those person, for that person. Maybe somebody hurts you at work and you start praying, God, I pray for good things for them. I pray that they get the raise that, you know, secretly you think maybe you deserved. God, I pray for their promotion. I pray for good things happen to them. See, that's what forgiveness is, is us being able to move past the, the desire for revenge or vengeance, for them to get what they deserve, and to move towards a place of desiring good things for them, to truly letting those things go and wanting good for the other person. So pray specifically for good things for those, for those people. And over time, you will be transformed. We pray this because this is exactly how Jesus taught us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And part of this is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's the parable he tells. We've been forgiven, so we have to offer forgiveness. And Jesus teaches you to pray this prayer. The second challenge is this. The series is called The Table. So invite them to the table. See, it's at the table that we truly can find forgiveness. We can find reconciliation with other people. It's Jesus who invites us to the table every single week for the same purpose. Now, I know if you thought of someone in your mind just a second ago, you might be thinking, I'm not inviting them over. All right, let's start a little smaller than that. How's coffee? How's starting there? Going to lunch. But I gave these in an order for a for a reason. We're going to start with prayer to open our hearts up to this, and we're going to invite someone to the table. And you might be, again, you might be thinking right now, like, there's no one that I really need to forgive, like, specifically, but there might be people in your life that you don't wish good on. That, you know, like, when I'm praying for good things to happen, well, they're not really the top of the list. Well, maybe start there. Maybe start with those people in your life. Pray, and then invite them to the table. Invite them to come together, because it's in the table that we find forgiveness, that we find this reconciliation. You know, there are lots of stories out there about people who, who bad things happened, whether an accident of some kind, and then, you know, the, the person offers forgiveness. You know, you've heard the story before of someone who, was, who committed some kind of crime, and then the victim family showed up and asked for a lenient sentence. And this week, I was reading on ESPN this article about about this girl who was one of the top high school basketball players. And, and what happened was 
And she had this full ride scholarship. She was at a basketball tournament and this driver ran off the road, ran into her and her family, killing her father, subjecting her to numerous surgeries, changing her life forever. And the story is about how the university honored her scholarship and about how the next year she went to college and they kept walking with her and she may never play basketball again. And that's a great story. But for the Christian, it leaves me wanting. Where's the forgiveness? I kept waiting for, for the, the page to turn to see, to see this person move towards forgiveness. And maybe that is part of the story and we just didn't get it. But church, we have the same story. That people hurt us, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and we're called to offer forgiveness. Not because they deserve it, not because they ask for it, but because we were in the exact same place. That we violated our relationship with God. That we did not deserve to be in relationship with Him. And He said, though you don't deserve it, and though you don't ask for it, I'm going to invite you into relationship anyways. I'm going to forgive that before you even know to ask for it. As we close today, I'm going to invite our shepherds and their wives to take their place on the wall. And I meant it when I said we want to start with prayer. And when Kyle means it when he said he wants you to fill out that prayer card. We want to invite you to prayer right now as we close our service. That maybe there is something in your life that we need to pray about because you need to move towards that place of forgiveness. As you may have heard before, not forgiving someone is, is kind of like drinking poison and hoping that they get sick. Some of you are sick right now. Because you're not offering forgiveness where you need to. You're not moving towards that place. And we want to start that process right now. We want to invite you to prayer. Maybe you haven't yet accepted the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has to offer you. Our baptism is ready and it's open today because we're about to have baptism, church. Somebody is going to join the family of God. Yeah, we could clap. That's great. And, and I want to invite you to take part in that baptism. So, so what I want to do before we close service today, right at the end of our service, right at the end of our announcements, we're not going to dismiss. We're going to watch the baptism on the screen. During the singing of this next song, I want to invite Franklin Altman's friends and family. I want to invite the youth group. Youth group, listen. I want, during this next song, I want you to go and join Franklin at the baptistry. We're going to surround him and we're going to all take part in this together. And that's, he can just be the warm-up. If you want to also Accept Jesus Christ today once you come while we stand and sing.